0: Well, good morning. My name's Matt, and uh, for those of you who I haven't met yet, uh, it's great to be uh, with you this morning. I uh, volunteer with the the youth ministry here, with Luke and the team, and that's uh, a a whole bunch of fun. If you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, you know a middle schooler or a high schooler, uh, Sunday night, 6 o'clock, we would love to hang out with them, and uh, we'd love to have them uh, here at the, the church. Um, And then I also uh, get to spend some time with uh, our small groups, with our small groups around the church, uh, gatherings of uh, the church expressed in our homes and our communities that are outside the walls of the church building. Uh, And it's a lot of fun to put a little bit of uh, thought and strategy and and leadership to that. And I'm just really thankful for uh, everyone who's serving and and putting time and and energy into uh, leading and gathering And um, we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit more this morning. I am super uh, just excited about this series that we're in. This why series. If you've been uh, with us for the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been talking about uh, not just like the things that we do as a church, right? Where we are talking about that, but we're not just trying to like highlight ministries. We're not trying to just get you into to volunteer or get involved with things. Uh, we're really digging at like uh, the the core philosophy or the the things that we really value as a church. And we're getting into the things that we feel like actually help form us and shape us and mold us uh, to be like Christ. Uh, it's, it's not just a, a saying on the wall out there. We really believe that we're meant to, uh, to pursue God's presence and practice His kingdom right? That that's what we're actually trying to do through our preaching and our teaching. That's why proclaiming the goodness of God and preaching the word of Jesus actually matters, right? It's why worshiping together, I know Ethan says it's the most important of all these things, uh, and maybe it is, uh, but why this matters, right? Because uh, we have to lift up our voices together. We have to orient ourselves towards a king and his kingdom, we have to open up our hearts to the truth of, of God to let that sink into uh, the fibers of our being. Right? We talked about, Leah talked about why we're part of the Vineyard Movement, why this family of churches that we're a part of, and why the, the kingdom of God and kind of the theology behind that actually matters to us as a, an expression of the church. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to, I'm just going to plug it here, the, uh, the Jesus Revolution uh, movie, right, is a, a great little uh, history of the, the, the origins of the vineyard movement. And uh, there's a whole lot more to be said about that, but I just want to offer that to you and and missions right why it doesn't matter that we care about people halfway around the world or all the way around the world and and why we give our time and our energy and not just our money right but actually the parts of our heart to open ourselves up to say that god you are at work just as much in 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 russia and in africa and in in all the places of the the world that maybe we don't even know exist right what, that god you are at work there and you care about every single person Uh, on the planet as much as you care about me. And so because of that, God, you are already at work. We believe that, right? God doesn't need us to like go do his work for him. His work will be accomplished with or without us, but he invites us into it and it forms us and it shapes us and it molds us. And it's our privilege to partner with God in the work that he's already doing. And so why do we do these things? We're talking about like really at our edits at core, like who are we becoming in this process of the things that we do? And today we're gonna to talk about small groups. And I wanna tell you uh, just up front, I am not plugging a program, okay? That's not what this is about. Um, but I am uh, asking the question of why do we gather together outside of Sunday morning? Why do we gather together in our homes? And for those of you who may or may not know what small groups are, what we're talking about, uh, Rick Warren, you may have heard of him. He's the author of The Purpose Driven Life and a pastor of uh, Saddleback Church out in California, this huge mega church, right? He, he uh, in an interview with um, Jay Pathick, the uh, national director for The Vineyard, was talking about the, this idea that, that small groups or house churches, as they're called, like everywhere else around the world, for some reason we call them small groups, right? Or life groups or life circles or circle circles or square circles or whatever. <laughs> Right. We have all these names for them, but that really what we're talking about is these house churches. And he calls them actually rabbit churches. Right. Because they multiply really quickly and they can move really fast. Um, And they're not as kind of weighed down as like what he calls maybe like a a tiger church or an elephant church. Right. They're they're mobile. They're fast uh, and they can reproduce really quickly and they matter that the, the church, the expression of the body of believers gathered together outside of these four walls, uh, it matters. But why does it matter? I think that asking these questions of why is super important. Um, in the work that I do, so my day job, I, I work for the, the fire department here in Holly Springs. And um, uh, so part of that is like going to, to calls to put out fires or go to uh, vehicle accidents or mostly medical calls or, you know, smells and bells as we call them. You know, (laughs) Um, there's a lot of that. Listen, uh, this town is consistently rated as one of the safest communities in North Carolina, which really means there's like, uh, no crime and no fires that 's really what it boils down to uh, so one of the things that i 've kind of gotten myself into in my my line of work uh, outside of just responding to calls is some of the organizational strategy and some of the the things that we 're working on kind of working on the the thing instead of just in the thing right and so one of the things that the the town has has uh, given me the opportunity to uh, to experience is Some corporate training, Um, you may be familiar with Lean Six Sigma, some of you in in process industry may be familiar with those terms. And really, it's a a system and a methodology to look at process, to look at manufacturing. It was started by auto manufacturers, but now this uh, is espoused by uh, healthcare systems and really anybody that does any kind of process to get an achievable outcome. Um, and one of the things that, one of the tools is called a root cause analysis and the root cause analysis really starts with asking why, asking why, and they call it the five whys because you just keep asking why kind of like a toddler, right? You just keep asking why until you start getting the answers that you're looking for. But if you're looking to make a change or an improvement, you start asking why actually I want to share just a, a video with you about this process of the five whys.
1: Years ago, the stone exterior was deteriorating at the Jefferson Memorial in Washington, D.C., a popular monument in the United States. Repairing the stone or painting over the worn areas was too expensive. So park rangers turned to root cause analysis and started asking why. Why was the stone deteriorating? High-powered sprayers were being used to wash the memorial every two weeks. Why were high-powered washings needed every two weeks? Because of bird droppings. Asking why stopped because it seemed the cause was found. Workers put nets around the building but they were unsightly and the birds found ways around them. So it was back to the drawing board or the five whys. Why are there so many birds? They come to feed on spiders. Why are there so many spiders? They feed on insects at night. Why are there so many insects? They're attracted by lights that shine on the memorial at night. With a new cause found, questions stopped and a plan was created to reduce the amount of time the memorial spent in the spotlight at night, and it worked. The insects were reduced by 90%, and with the root cause removed, the excessive cleaning was no longer needed. An unexpected benefit was a cost savings realized by using less electricity. This highlights how root cause analysis can involve trial and error, and how the five whys isn't always limited to exactly five questions. Read more about Root Cause Analysis and the Jefferson Memorial Story at the link below.
0: We just keep asking why until we start getting some answers that make sense and can help us make some improvements. And um, what I want to encourage you is that while we're asking these questions of why, why preaching and why worship and why missions and why are we part of the Vineyard Movement, um, that don't stop asking why. Right. Don't just take the things that we're saying up here on Sunday morning and say, that's good enough for me. Right. My encouragement to you and my challenge to you is keep asking why ask another level, keep digging until you realize whether it's, these are actually values for you as a person and as a family, as an individual, as a community, if these are actually important to you or not. So keep asking why. And I think that you're, you're going to find some really uh, interesting and some really helpful answers you know, we're talking about roots and root causes. Uh, The scriptures are full of teachings and conversations about roots and fruit, right? We care about the fruit. We care about what's coming out on the branches that we're we're tending to. Uh, And we hope that it's things like the fruit of the spirit, right? Love and joy and peace. We want those things in our world. Our world needs those kinds of fruit. But we have to pay attention to the root. We have to pay attention to what is beneath the surface and what the nutrients and what is actually happening at the root of what we're looking for. And so I want to point us this morning to a passage in Ephesians. And this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And he says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And this is it, right? This is, at the, at, this is the root that we as a church are hoping and praying and working really, really hard, uh, that you would know that you are loved, that you are loved beyond all comparison. That at the core of it, right, this is not a, a you do things and then God pays attention to you. And I hope that if you hear nothing else this morning, that you walk away from this, this gathering together, hearing that in this moment, right here, right now, you are more loved than you could ever possibly be. That God loves you to his fullest. That it's not contingent on the things that you do or don't do, the things you say or don't say, the things you believe or don't believe. That the, the, the action does not prompt God's love for you. That his love for you is at its fullness and because of that, then we live in response to that. I don't think, though, I don't think that Paul is just uh, offering a a throwaway comment here when he says in uh, verse 18 that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. This love goes beyond what we could imagine uh, but sometimes we need a little bit of help to remember that and to understand that and to figure it out. And we sometimes have to do that together, right? I don't think that this is just like, oh, you in Ephesus and then all the other people that I'm writing all these letters to. No, he's saying we actually need each other and growing together is the key. And so uh, what I'm offering to you today is that we're talking about pursuing God's presence and practicing his kingdom together in the places where we live. Right? We're looking for the kingdom of God to come in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, the way that it is in heaven. And so I want to offer just a couple uh, thoughts to you of why I think small groups really matter. Um, like I said, this is like, I don't, I'm not trying to like pitch you or like sell you a program. Okay. And I think that what we're talking about is actually discipleship. What we're actually talking about is pursuing God. Um, but I think that small groups are one of the primary and one of the most powerful tools in that process. All right. So here's, uh, the first thought is that small groups help us grow together in the direction of Christ. We all want to grow towards Christ, uh, maybe, uh, maybe you have that as a primary thought, or maybe that's something that sounds like a good idea in your life, but just your gathering here in this space this morning says that this is a priority for you, right? There's uh, a million other things that you could be doing on a Sunday morning at 10.30, but you're here, and I'm so grateful that you've chosen to be with us uh, this morning. Um, But there's a lot of other things that are looking for our attention. A lot of other things that are looking for our, as as Ethan would highlight, our worship, right? And it's not just, we're not like just our singing, but our lives that are lived in a certain direction. Right. If you think about it, like uh, we've all heard the analogy of like a compass that's like not calibrated properly, right? And if you go just even like one or two degrees off, that if you go long enough and far enough, that you'll end up way off of where you tried to be, maybe even on another continent, right? Um, so we've heard that, but I want to think. I think about it like this. Uh, I think about it, life is right? Have any of you, uh, let's show of hands, this is fine, you've, you've done like one of these corn maze things, right? Um, in the last fall, actually, uh, Ava went with us, and, and we went, uh, so I took my three daughters, and Ava, and some friends, and we went uh, wandering through this corn maze over at Phillips Farm, and you would like to think, and there are these hints, right? You would go to like one point And then it would tell you you should go like in a certain direction to give you a clue to find the next, uh, number. And I think you had to find like eight or 10 numbers and then you would find your way out. Let me tell you (laughs) when you're in a corn maze, first of all, by yourself is a little, uh, confusing. And then when you're in the corn maze with like half a dozen teen and preteen women, right? (laughs) There are a lot of ideas and a lot of opinions, and a lot of di- different directions that you can go, and we actually went all of them. <clears throat> I thought it would take us like 10, 15 minutes to get out of this thing. I think it was at least an hour and a half. <laughs> There's all kinds of things, all kinds of great ideas. Listen, I'm not talking about like the things that want to distract you that are like bad for you, Right, we kind of know some of those things—the vices that are like pulling at our hearts and want our attention. I'm not talking about like the obviously dark things in life that are trying to like to kill your soul. I'm talking about the things that seem like they're pretty good, but they're not exactly spot on. Right? You can ask my wife. I have lots of ideas. They're not always the best. Proverbs says this, it says, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. But Jesus says this, he says, come and follow me. And the cheat code in this is that he calls you to follow him, but he also offers us his spirit to help us in the following, right? Uh, There's a theologian, A.W. Tozer, he says it like this. He says, we can take whatever path in worship we want. Whatever path we choose, but not all paths will end up at the feet of Jesus. There are a million things that are calling for your attention and your allegiance and your occupation and your time and your energy and your money, but they're not all growing and not all moving us in the direction of Christ. You maybe are familiar, if you've spent any time around uh, our church family, uh, with this idea of the centered set or the bounded set. Right, And this is a, a, a conversation about uh, the bounded set is an, a really an in or out mentality, right? Of if you do these things, if you espouse to these principles, if you live by these rules, then you're in. And if you don't, then you're out. And we just believe that uh, a, a fuller picture of life in God's kingdom and life in the world that we live in Is this centered set where really it's not about keeping to a set of rules because none of us can actually do that, right? It's about uh, centering ourselves and orienting our lives on the person of Jesus and moving ourselves in the direction of his kingdom and his will and the life that he's imagined for you and for me. Uh, Robert Mulholland, in his book, uh, An Invitation to a Journey, a Roadmap to Spiritual Formation, which I cannot uh, encourage enough for you. Uh, he says that spiritual formation is a, the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. And I would say that it's with others as well. We want to be formed in the likeness and the image of Jesus. We recognize that, that Jesus is the only hope in this world. And yet, uh, sometimes we don't live that way. Sometimes we live like there's a lot of other things that can save us and a lot of other things that can lead us into life and life everlasting. But the scriptures tell us that in him all things were made and in him all things hold together. And so we want to orient our lives towards Jesus and sometimes we've got to do that together. We need some help. Small groups help us grow together in the direction of Christ And uh, John Wimber, he's the the founder of the, the Vineyard Movement, right? This family of churches that we're a part of says this, the purpose of small groups is to make and nurture disciples. We're trying to actually become disciples, apprentices, people that are following in the way of Jesus, looking more like him in the world that we live in. And so I think small groups help us grow together in the direction of Christ. And I also think that small groups help us model a life of faith and discipleship to rising generations. If you think that there's a lot of things that are trying to get your attention, what about our kids? What about those that are coming up? What about those who are still in the, the formative stages of life? You know, uh, Generation Z, I've, I, part of my... My uh, background is, is youth ministry, and so a lot of that is, is spending time studying uh, generations and the things that move groups of people and motivate them and kind of the fabric of what they're made up of. <clears throat> I put the wrong one. I put millennials. All right, millennials. <laughs> Millennials, believe it or not, are probably the majority of this room, right? There's some Gen X, there's some Boomers, there's some some Gen Z. uh, But the millennials that we think of, we think, oh, millennials, like, you know, they're the teenagers. They're not. Uh, Gen Z is our teenagers right now. And coming right behind them is Gen Alpha. And we're still waiting for some some information about them, right? Uh, Generation Z is the the, uh, population that's born... Uh, in like the mid nineties, they say about 1995, uh, to about 2012 is the window that generation Z, those are the birth years and generation Z. Um, well, there's a lot of other markers for, uh, millennials and gen X and the boomers, right? Gen Z is pro- potentially marked, uh, most obviously by isolation. They may be very well be the uh, population that is the most connected and yet the most isolated in their experience of the teenage years on planet earth. And this is because there's like, there's a lot of statistics and and studies behind this because uh, their coming of age was right at the time when uh, smartphones and social media at the same time, both crossed the 50% mark, user mark. Right? And so they, they, the majority of the world is now using these little devices that we carry around in our pockets that have high-speed internet and access to everyone and everything, everywhere, anytime. And social media, where we're also comparing ourselves to the rest of the world in a way that we've never really done before. And so there's a lot of markers like isolation, anxiety, depression, mental health, that all come with these, right? There's uh, certain social statistics that are actually getting better, Um, teenagers are less likely to get in an accident behind the wheel, they're less likely to get pregnant, and they're less likely to uh, consume alcohol before uh, legal age, Uh, which sounds good, but it's because they're not spending time face-to-face together. It's because the most exciting place to be is alone in your room with a smartphone in your hand. Man, and all the effects of this, there's like mind-blowing statistics on the effects of this, of uh, just the mental health ramifications that spill into other types of ramifications that are just shocking. So what do we do with this? And why does this matter that we change our lives around as parents, as a community of believers? You don't have to be a parent in this room to have an impact in Generation Z and Generation Alpha, and all the ones behind, right, uh, they're watching. They are absolutely watching. So what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to to create environments and curate experiences where they can get together face-to-face, hang up, hang out, and see God's people together, see a different way of life, hope, and joy, and love, and patience, Man, what is it when you get to see patience worked out between people, right? It's powerful. So this is our our challenge. Uh, Deuteronomy says this. Jesus actually quotes this when someone asks him what the greatest commandment is, right? But he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And I don't think this is just a a commitment or this is just an encouragement to parents. I think it is to parents, but I think it's to every single person who has an impact in the life of someone younger than them, someone coming along behind them. And I think that together, our witness is supposed to tell a different story than everything that they're scrolling through. Are we doing that? Hebrews says this Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We've got to be together, we have to, it's essential. Our kids need to see us model a life of faith together. They need to see us lean into the truth of God. They need to see us live that out together. And here's the thing, right? What I'm not trying to say is we just have to like live in this uh, Christian society where we shelter them from all the hardship of the world and we just live in this like uh, abstract kind of space. Like our kids have to see us interact with the reality of the world we live in, the brokenness, the hardness of it, from a, point, a place where we understand that we are loved, where we understand that God who is who He says He is, that He is for you and not against you, that He is with you and not absent, and that He wants to lead us through the brokenness of this world. Right? I think it's very easy for us to just say, like, oh, let's just get back to a, a, a Christian America. Let's just get back to like, where everybody like, goes to church and, and is kind of kind to each other. We are kind to each other when we're with each other and then we just say whatever we want when we're behind their back, right? Like, what I'm trying to say is that we're trying to help our students and our, our children. I'm trying to help my kids live a different story, a story where there's actually a king and actually a kingdom where we're in this space it's in between, right? The kingdom of God has come and yet it is still coming. And my kids have to see that they have to see us live the reality. And I think what small groups do in this conversation is they help us break out of thinking that just doing this coming to Sunday morning, singing some songs, listening to somebody talk for a couple minutes and then tossing a couple bucks in the plate on the way out, that that's like, that that is the, the culmination or the, the peak of the Christian experience. I think it's really easy for us to settle for that. I think it's really easy for us to think that, and what I'm not saying also is because I think for a long time we've thought of the church. I know Josh in his sermon was talking about like the church is, is not simply meant to be a hospital. Yes, there's healing and hope, but it's not just a hospital, right? But it's also not just a dispensary. You don't just come and get your little dose of Jesus and feel good and then go home and, and live the rest of your week. Right, And I think when we have that mindset, then we start to think, oh no, there's six other days in the week. Let's have a, a prayer meeting or a Bible study or a small group or a home church. Like What we're not trying to do is just have a booster in the week <laughs> to get us through till Sunday. And we can settle for that, but I don't think if we do that, that we're living into the actual story that Jesus is calling us to. I think that he's actually trying to change, like, man, how sad would it be to, like, almost get it, to almost get it of, like, yeah, we, we lived in this, like, churchy kind of thing, but we never actually engaged with God himself. Jesus didn't come to sell you on good ideas. He didn't just come to give you philosophies. He came so that you could have life and life to the full not these small lives that are lived through these like little six inch windows to somebody else's life, not through fear or anxiety or depression, life and life to the full. But here's the thing. Our kids aren't going to get that if we don't go first. It's really easy to say like, oh, I want my kids to have a better life than I had. And that's true, right? That's every parent wants that. But it's kind of like if you've been on an airplane, right, of like, put the mask on first. You can't give what you don't have. It's kind of like this. Um, I was told that I was contractually obligated to put this picture in here, and actually I made this one myself. (coughs) But it's meant to have a trickle down effect. We are meant as parents, as aunts, uncles, leaders, teachers, people who are modeling the life of faith to those who are coming behind us, we are meant to go first, to say, God, I want everything that you have for me. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to settle for just doing this, playing the part and doing this churchy thing. God, I need the reality of your kingdom to break into the reality of my life. And I need some people to help me sort it out along the way. There's a light that's shining in the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome it. And we have to choose into community that will tell that story. Okay, so small groups, um, they help us live this out in front of our kids and to model this to rising generations. I think this is super important and I'm grateful for everyone who's investing in the kids and the teens in this church. Thank you for what you're doing. I think this, I think small groups create space for people with different church backgrounds and experiences. I think that small groups are meant to be one of the primary entry points to the life of the church. It's an easy space to invite a friend or a co-worker, a a classmate, a neighbor, right? Because listen, this thing we do here on Sunday mornings can be a little bit weird, okay? I'm just going to say it. And I'm not saying that, like, I mean, there are some, like, really weird churches. Uh, we try not to be, like, you know, uh, totally off the, off the wall here. But um, just the concept of what we're doing uh, can be really strange to people, right? Of this, like, standing and singing and singing about blood and lambs and kings and kingdoms and, and then listening to somebody talk about, like, a, a whole nother world. Like, this can be a really foreign concept, and there's actually, like, again, some generational studies on this, because for a long time, this was the norm, right? We grew up, we went to church Sunday mornings, and you went to grandma's for, for lunch or a Sunday dinner, uh, and, and, and that was life. Uh, but then, so that generation, this was normal, and then the generation behind them, their children, at some point decided, hey, this thing that mom and dad are doing is not for me. And they exited the church and they left and said, I'm going to blaze my own path. Um, And a lot of them found their way back, right? And especially as they started to have kids or have life changes or life experiences would come back to the church. But there was a whole generation that was born uh, while they were away from the church. And so that generation didn't grow up with this as a framework or this as part of like what they understand of what we're doing. And so this can be a really strange experience, and so that's like, for me, one of the, the things as, as I'm always thinking about, what is this like for someone who's coming into the gathering of believers for the first time? What, what is this experience like? Because um, I grew up in church, so this is not like, this is, is, is as familiar as anything could be for me, but I, I'm, I'm consistently challenged to think about, what is this like for someone who has never experienced this before? I think a lot easier than coming into like a Sunday morning thing where there's this whole form and, 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 and thing that we do, we all know how to drink a cup of coffee or, or eat a meal or just sit around a table or a living room and talk about life and faith and the intersection of the two and work out some of the questions that we have. This can be a little bit uh, intimidating, but uh, I think that uh, coming into our homes, is meant to be the kind of space that you can invite a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a stranger, a stranger from the gym that maybe that you've met that, you know, could come with you and be part of this thing that God is doing in our midst. I think that small groups are meant to create space and and an on-ramp to the life of the church, but I also think that they're meant to be a place where people who have found themselves away from the church uh, can, can re-engage with the, the body of faith, right? Church hurt is real. Um, uh, there's there's no, uh, no second guessing or getting around that. Um, and so sometimes we need some spaces that aren't like uh, a, a Sunday morning church service to work out with the Lord and with his people of who he is, what he cares about, and to find the hope and the healing that our hearts need. I think that um, small groups actually are meant to be one of the best spaces to introduce people to the person of Jesus for the very first time. Um, for a long time, we've operated under the the idea that, or this kind of sequence that you're supposed to uh, behave, and then you can believe, and then you'll belong, right? And we're trying to flip the script to where you you can belong. You can belong way before you believe or behave or, or any of this looks, we're not about looks, right? We're about what is actually going on in your heart, what's actually happening in the soil of your life. We're talking about these roots. What's actually at the root of who you are as a person? Is it that you know that you're loved or is it that you feel like you have to try and earn love? Is it that you feel like you have to try and earn acceptance and forgiveness? You can't earn it. It's already available because God loves you. Right? Are we telling that story or are we telling another story? You can belong before you believe and you can believe before you behave. Right? We're trying to get things in the right order here. And I think that small groups doing this, I think that the witness of life lived together in the community of saints is far more powerful than any like just teaching or, or preaching. I think that when people see the way we live, the way that we love each other, the way that we work things out out together, the way that we confront the reality of this world together, that that is supposed to have power for those who are yet to meet the person of Jesus. I also think this, I think small groups hold the middle ground between like Sunday school and Bible study and like social gatherings of just people who are, are part of, of the church. I think there's a middle ground. I think small groups, when we're talking about them specifically, kind of hold that middle ground. Now, those both both ends of that are super important. I think that the thing, what Bon is doing with uh, the Sunday school and the studying the word together, digging into the truth of God together and studying like learning from the word of God is super important. And I think that just spending time together and, you know, the moments that we started to ex- uh, explore over the summer. Uh, and then the, I actually, I love the, uh, uh, the house spouse group that's gathering or, uh, Uh, what are they? Brunch and babies, is that what you call it? Um, That like Emily and Jessica and everybody else uh, and Samantha, I I love what you guys are doing with that, right? Because it takes a village, right? And we have to encourage each other. We have to model this for our kids. It all matters. But I think there's a middle road between like formal study of scripture and this just spending time together with people who care about some of the things that we care about, I think that this middle road, this middle ground is what our small groups are meant to fulfill. They're meant to be a place where we can work out the things that are going on in our lives, where we can bring the truth of God into them. And I just want to encourage you to, to whatever it takes to be part of a community that is going to help you grow. I think small groups do this. I think they also... I think they help us remember the truth together, because we forget things pretty quickly. Um, like where my keys are. <laughs> I'm not good at that. I also, you know, I saw a meme the other day that was like, uh, "It's uh, like, do you when you lock your car? Why do I always have to click the button like three or four times?" Like, do I not think that it works? The first time I saw the light blink and I saw, like, heard the car beep, but I still hit it, like, or like the little tongs that we have to click a couple times, otherwise you're just not ready to cook anything, right? We're forgetful people. Uh, And so were the Israelites, by the way. And uh, one of the passages, there's, if you look at it, there's actually about 46 passages in the scriptures that talk about forgetting who God is. Uh, which is crazy, right? Of like, okay, this is the book of Bible, the, this is the book of God, and yet all these people start forgetting who God is. Uh, there's a, a, a passage in, in Judges, and it says this, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, this is after they've come into the promised land, they went to take possession of the land, each of, of their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance, at Timnath-Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. And look at this. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Like one generation, one generation Past, like, the, the, the sea parting and the people being pull, uh, brought out of Egypt. All the miracles, like the pillar of fire, the Lord leading them through the desert. One generation after that, they have no idea who God is. Man, like, we forget really, really quickly. And so, we have to remind each other of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. We have to, like, otherwise we'll forget. Cause it's really easy to like live your life and you have these really powerful experiences at different points in your life of like, man, I remember that, that altar call, or I remember that night at, at at summer camp, or I remember this brokenness where God like, like met me. I remember like this physical thing in my body that got healed. But as time goes on, it's really easy to reason our way out of those. Of like, ah, you know, like, maybe that was just like a little bit of hype and emotion. Maybe that was like my body reacting to like the medicine or the feeling. And maybe that wasn't actually God. Maybe I did. Like, it is really easy to forget those things that are really formative and really shape and mold our lives. It's easy to forget those. But it's hard to forget them when we experience them together. And when we can remind each other of, hey, 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 hold on. Remember when we prayed about that thing? Remember when you were looking for a job for like forever? And then we started praying about it together. And then now you're in, in the workplace that you've never even like imagined that you could be. Remember when you were like super lonely and you just wanted to be in a relationship that was life-giving and honoring to the Lord and you just felt like you couldn't find it. Remember when we prayed about that together and look where you are now? You know, one of uh, my small group experiences was uh, in, in a, a, another church where we just started praying together for, uh, so in the vineyard, one of the two things that we don't like really push in ministry time or the thing that we, in prayer ministry training, that we don't like really pray like very specifically or give like prophetic words about is like marriages and babies, right? Cause those are the two things that can just do a lot of damage and we want the best. We have a lot of really good intentions, but when we start speaking for the Lord about those things, it can get really weird. Um, but this group, we were, uh, we were just praying. There was families who were going through uh, infertility, trying to have kids really want to have families uh, and couldn't. And we, so we just started praying specifically about that with and for each other. And uh, I think it was in a a span of about a year, uh, there were four families that had babies after we started praying about this, right? And that's the kind of thing that, like, you can't can't forget that. Like, you can't, as we live that out together, that's the kind of thing that you can't just excuse or deny of, like, oh, maybe one or two of them, but what about three or four? (laughs) Like, you know, I think that, like I said, the, this, this idea of singing together, and I hope that our groups, that, that as we get together, uh, that there is singing and joy, and that there's laughter, and that there's music. Uh, you know, that song, like, the goodness of God, like, all my life you have been faithful. We have to remind ourselves of that, and we have to re- remind each other of that. We have to speak that and declare that into our own souls and over one another. Uh, I've heard it this way. The faithfulness of God in the past is prophetic of his goodness in the future but we can forget really quickly how good he's been. So our job is to remind each other. Small groups help us remember the truth together. So I think this. I think small groups help us grow together in the direction of Christ. They help us model a life of faith and discipleship to rising generations, create space for people with different backgrounds and experiences, and help us remember the truth together. But what does this actually look like? What does this look like when it really comes down to it? Uh, I think that uh, Acts, the book of the early church, describes a little bit. I can't prescribe to you and say this is exactly what a small group should look like, right? Uh, because it's not about a program. It's not about like trying. We're not producing. Like this isn't production where we're trying to drive out all uh, variation. And we're trying to eliminate waste and all those things. Like we're not manufacturing things here. We're growing together. So I want to point us in this direction. Acts says this. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I think some of these themes, right? Generosity, sharing a meal together, sitting face to face, new folks coming in regularly and finding hope and finding healing and finding Jesus. I think all of these are markers of what the church at its best is supposed to look like. And I think that that comes through uh, what we're doing here and what we're doing outside these walls together. Uh, you know, the small group that we uh, are part of in, in Cary, uh, Lisa said this, because I asked, I just pulled our group of like, what, what is why does small group matter to you? And she said this, for me, I think the biggest selling point is having a forum to discuss the blessings, the struggles, and everything in between. As a congregant, we listen and sing, but there's not a forum to ask questions, clarify, or et cetera. Small group gives that platform, which is so important. This is where we work it out together. And I think it matters. You know, um, if you've been around the Vineyard Movement for uh, any amount of time, uh, there's a guy, Adam Russell, part of uh, uh, our region here in the Vineyard. He's in, uh pastors the Vineyard Church in uh, Campbellsville, Kentucky and also uh, is the director of Vineyard Worship, which by the way, uh, again, looking at the history of the vineyard movement, uh, worship is one of, I think, the, the best gifts that God has given uh, through the vineyard to uh, the church at large. Uh, a lot of the songs that we sing uh, have roots in in vineyard artists and, and worshipers. Uh, but he wrote this, just uh, wrote this kind of right before the holidays, and it's kind of stuck with me, The Magic of Church. And he says this, actually, four bits of magic. There's more, obviously but this is Instagram and not a book. So I want to read those for you, and maybe this will kind of make sense. One, uh, the magic of church is a story to live in. Humans are story-formed creatures. It's literally how we make sense of the world, and we need a story to order our lives. And specifically, one, I'm not solely responsible to create or curate. We need a story of life from a loving creator. We need a story that includes sin and destruction. We need a story of resurrection and renewal, a story of fresh starts. We need a story that strength is often coming in a form that looks like weakness. And church is an embodied story each week. In the songs we sing, in the words we hear, in the bread and wine, we're living in a story. Two, becoming a community with people I'd never choose. Church is wild, there's all these people, and honestly, I wouldn't choose a lot of them. Remember, he's a pastor. (coughs) Either I'd never meet them, or the immediate juice of friendship wouldn't spark. Our interests are too divergent, our lives are so different. But here we are, progressives and principled right-wingers sitting in the same row, sports people and readers, highly churched and barely in, all together. That's magic, only Jesus could get us together and keep us together. Three, a little retreat from a me world. I like my coffee black, I like my Saturdays slow, I like my opinions sharp, I like my chicken roasted per Thomas Keller's instruction, I like my dad rock sad, which is why I love the national. I like spring better than summer, I like to lay in the hammock on our porch and doom scroll Instagram reels. But church isn't primarily about me, instead it's about God and it's about us. And so, there is plenty I don't like about my church. And that's kind of great. Four, a ballast for hard seasons. The sun doesn't always shine. Sometimes a hard rain falls. Money evaporates. People die just when everything looked promising. Love stalls or doesn't show up. Sickness sets in. Disappointment lingers. You name it. And when this happens, I need something to hold on to. Fortunately, at church, we're not all down at the same time. A good number of us are up, and we can draw on that strength. When I'm weak, I don't have to hold myself up. And he's talking about the church, but I don't think he's just talking about Sunday morning church. I think he's talking about church as a lived experience in the world that we actually exist in, in this space between the kingdom come and the kingdom coming. And we're just really talking about pursuing God, practicing his kingdom together in the spaces where we live. And so I want to encourage you, right, if you have not tried out a small group, try one out. We have a number of groups. You can find them all on our website. Try one out. There's uh, three groups that are meeting now, and there's more that are getting ready to start. Um, As you're thinking about how you are being formed, how your life is, the story of your life is actually being written... I want to challenge you to do that in the context of community, community that will help you grow.